0: Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, I may be a new face to some of you and uh, hopefully a familiar face to at least a few of you. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name's Charlie Browning. And I'm the campus pastor at our Butterfield campus. Uh, my wife, Allie, and I, we've been part of the life of Christ Church for a number of years. We've been members for a number of years. And then a few months ago, God called me to join the staff team and specifically in the context of the Butterfield campus. And I just got to give a plug. I need you to know something. If you're joining us at our Oakbrook campus this morning or if you're joining us as part of our online congregation, I need you to know something real quick about our Butterfield campus. That every single Sunday when the preaching pastor gets up and they say hello to the church in the various contexts of which we're gathered together, The Butterfield campus, they'll inevitably get to the point where they say hi to those at the Butterfield campus joining via video stream, and the place erupts in a cheer every single time. (laughs) It is awesome. We love being part of this church together and watching how God is working in and through it, and I I hope you do too. And so whether you're joining us at one of our two campuses this morning in person or whether you're joining us online, uh, we're so glad you're here, and I, I really mean that. I mean, what an incredible thing it is to be the church of Jesus Christ, gathered together in so many different contexts and capacities and locations, all worshiping Jesus together on a Sunday morning. I think that's pretty cool. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been walking through a sermon series that's, that's taking a look at the book of Philippians. And the sermon series is titled, Worthy, Living Our Best Life Now. And and the whole point of the sermon series is to take a look at what the Apostle Paul, who's the guy who writes the book of Philippians, what the Apostle Paul has to say about what it means to live our very best life right now. And I got a little spoiler alert for you. The Apostle Paul's definition of what it means to live our very best life now is pretty different from Instagram's definition of what it means to live our very best life right now. And so we're going to take a look today at Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12 and moving through the rest of the passage, to just understand what Paul has to say about this specific idea. But before we even get into this, before we jump into what God's saying to us today through his word, I, I need to feel the need to give some context and some background for, for what he's trying to communicate here, what the Apostle Paul, sort of the ethos of what he's getting at. It makes me think of one of my favorite speeches of all time. A speech given in 1993. Kids, raise your hand if you were born before 1993. Probably none of you should be raising your hand if you're a child. Um, But a speech given in 1993 by a man named Jim Valvano. And you can watch it on YouTube if you weren't alive then. Jimmy V as... Valvana was often referred to. He was a college basketball coach for a number of decades, and then towards the end of his career, he was diagnosed with cancer, and it eventually became clear that the cancer was probably going to overtake his life. And so in his last days on this earth, in his last days, they invited him to give a speech at an awards show, a speech that he titled, Don't Ever Give Up. And he makes his way sort of gingerly to the stage and grabs the podium. You can see the weakness in his body. But he grabs the podium, it's like this shot of life comes through him. And he perks up, and an excerpt of the speech goes like this. He says, time is very precious to me. I don't know how much I have left, and I have some things that I would like to say. He goes on. I urge all of you, all of you, to enjoy your life, the precious moments that you have. And he says, what I would like to be able to do with whatever time I have left is to give some hope to others. So, he says, we're starting the Jimmy V. Foundation for Cancer Research, and its motto is this, don't give up. Don't ever give up. You see, I think Paul's passage in Philippians 2 here is like his own rendition of a don't ever give up speech. He's writing his own don't ever give up speech. You see, he's writing this speech, this letter, in the, he's in jail. He's been separated from the church of Philippi, some of his best friends, the church that he helped plant. And he's frankly, he's not sure how much longer The Roman government is even going to let him continue to live. And so he writes this letter, this specific passage in Philippians, all with the intention to share, don't ever give up. He begins his encouragement like this, starting in verse 12. Paul says, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I'm away, he says, it's even more important. He's like, you were, you were clinging to Christ. You were hanging on to Jesus so well when I was there. And now that we've been separated, he said, it's even more important that you do so. My wife, Allie, and I, we recently ran a half marathon. 13.1 miles. And uh, mile 10, we're running along, and we are feeling great. <laughs> and then mile 11 hit and we're running along and not feeling so great. I think the the pain was plastered all over my face, and I'm thinking in my head, there's no way I'm finishing this thing. Like 13.1, where I don't know if I can go two more miles. And at at that point, some random spectator from the crowd yells in, I think it was focused on me, I think he could see the pain in my face, yells in, he says, hey, keep going, You've already come so far. You can do it. You can finish this thing. And it's like he, that person lit a little spark under me. It was the encouragement that I needed in order to be able to keep going, in order to be able to finish the race. That was exactly what I needed to hear. And Paul's saying the exact same thing here. He, he's acting as that random stranger who encouraged me in the middle of my half marathon. And he's doing so to the church of Philippi way back in the day, a long, long time ago. And he's also doing so to every single one of us today who are feeling the same way, who are feeling like, man, things were going well, and then we just hit mile 11, and we're really starting to struggle in life that morale is really low, that we're going through one of those types of valleys. And Paul's encouragement in this passage, in verse 12, is just to hear him say this. Hang on to Jesus. He's already brought you so far. I know life situation is tough right now. But keep hanging on to him. It's worth it. Don't give up. He continues on in verse 13 in this encouragement to the Philippians. Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him, Paul says. I don't know if that first part of the passage struck you at all. I don't know if it caused you to back up and think, whoa, Paul, what are you saying here? Do I have to work hard to show the results of your salvation? Do I have to earn something? Do I have to prove something to God that, to make it clear that I'm worthy or that we have a relationship with him? Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not at all what I'm saying. If you take a closer look at the original text in its Greek language, you can see that what Paul's saying here is not any sort of command that we have to like prove ourselves or or show that we have enough to be worthy of God. No. What he's saying here is that he's encouraging us to place our entire selves, our entire faith in Jesus. And when we do that, Paul says that God continues to work. In and through us. He's encouraging us to give ourselves completely to Jesus in the hard times and the good times, and that God will continue to work in and through us as we do that. And the result of God working in and through us will manifest itself in the way that we live our life. And that, Paul says, will show that we have a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what's gonna show that we have a relationship with him, that God is working in us and it's gonna cause us to live in a certain type of way. But, I, but before we go on, I don't want you to miss what he said here either. And so if you've been tuning out, this is the only thing that I want you to hear in the entire thing. Paul is convinced. Paul is convinced in verse 13, for God is working in you. It's not a a question mark. He's not confused about it. He's making a statement about you and about me that God is working in you. That's the encouragement that he wants to give you today, that God is working in you, whether it feels like it or not. So here's the big idea that I think Paul's getting at in this context. Here's the big idea that I think he's trying to present us with in this passage. The big idea is this, that God's work in us compels us to be different. Paul says that God's at work in us. And then he's going to go on to share that God's work in us actually compels us to be different. That when God works in us, that we just become a group of people who is different from the rest of the world. We become individuals who are different from the rest of the world. That's what he's trying to communicate to us here. That's the big idea that Paul's getting at in this text. And so, if you're a kid in the room, raise your hand if you really love sticking out from the crowd and being like super different from everybody else in your class. Yeah, my hand's down too, so either I've lost all of you from boredom or nobody likes sticking out. But either way, I agree, Allie will attest to the fact that, that my, one of my biggest social fears in life is showing up to an event either way overdressed or way underdressed. Because I just know, at least I feel like every single person is staring at me because I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. But it strikes me here in this passage that the scriptures aren't interested in just letting us fit in with the crowd. They're not letting us, interested in just letting us be one of another person who just fits in with the rest of the world. No, Paul says, that when God's at work in us, it's gonna cause us to be different. A fair question then is how? (laughs) Well, okay, well, what's that gonna look like for me to be different? Paul gives us two ways. Two specific ways, he says, that God's work in our life will cause us to be different. He begins with the first reason in verse 14. He's pretty blunt about it. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Whew. Do everything without complaining and arguing. This is the time where all the kids are shrinking back and being like, why do we have to come to church today of all the days? And every adult is like, I am so glad we showed up today. (laughs) The day we're talking about not complaining and arguing. But Paul doesn't mince words here, and I don't know if you're like me. That that strikes me a little bit core. Do everything without complaining and arguing. That's the first way, Paul says. That is the first way that God's work in us will call us to be different than the rest of the world, that we would be a people who do everything without complaining and arguing. So Paul's calling us through the work of God in our lives, to be different. To just be plain different. And he says we'll be different in two ways. The first way we'll be different is that through the work of God in us, we won't be a people who complain and argue. And the second way he says we'll be different, he picks up starting in verse 19. Paul says this. He says, if the Lord Jesus is willing I hope to send Tim- Timothy, my friend, my protege, soon to you for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you all are getting along. <laughs> and then he, yeah, this is the bold part I want you to pay attention to. Him. I have no one else like Timothy, Paul says, who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others, Paul says, Care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. The second way Paul says that we're called to be different through the work of God in our lives is that we would care about the things that matter to Jesus Christ. And the way that Paul defines that is that we would genuinely care for the welfare of other people. You see, I think Paul's aware of one singular fact that's been true throughout all of human history, that most people who have existed on this earth have cared about one thing and one thing primarily, themselves. Which why Paul says Timothy is so different, because Timothy cares about the things that matter to Jesus, which is the welfare of other people. I think it's worth unpacking this. I think it's worth exploring this a little bit further of what that actually means. Because we hear it frequently in our church and in our culture uh, that we should be kind and compassionate to other people, that we should follow the golden rule, etc., cetera, et cetera. Those things go on and on, and those are really good and valid and biblical things. We should lean into that. But I would just want to admonish us. I wonder if there's one layer deeper to what it means to biblically care about the welfare of other people. I wonder if there's one deeper layer to what living that out very practically in our lives actually looks like. And I think part of the reason that Paul points out Timothy as an example for this, of someone who is genuinely different, is that Timothy Timothy cares for the welfare of others in a way that requires him to sacrifice. If you follow the story of Timothy throughout the scriptures, you see he sacrifices his time, his energy, his treasure, his comfort, all these things. He's willing to sacrifice for the sake of other people. That I think the biblical model of genuinely caring for the welfare of others has a lot to do with sacrifice. There are a number of ways that the scriptures outlines what it looks like to genuinely care for the welfare of other people and to be different in this way. Here are just a few of them. The scriptures say that we'll be different because we'll carry each other's burdens. They say that, that it will be people who, if anyone forces us to go with one mile with somebody, we'll go with them too. we will be open-handed Toward our fellow people who are poor in the land, that will help those who have been robbed and will rescue them from their oppressors, that will share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality, and finally, as Jesus Himself says, love each other as I have loved you. The list of scripture passages goes on and on and on. Those are just a few of them. But the point remains that they get very practically, very granular about what it means to care for the welfare of other people. And most of what you can encompass in all of that is it requires a a, a significant sacrifice on, on our behalf. That we can't be comfortable and genuinely care for the welfare of others. We can't be comfortable all the time and genuinely care for the welfare of others because it requires sacrifice, Paul says. It'd be fair to ask the question, whether you're wondering it out loud or just in your head, uh, of why it, why it matters. It would be good to do these things. It would be good that God would work in a way, in our life, in a way to cause us to lean into these two ways of living, but it'd be fair to ask, well, what would be a big deal if I did or didn't? Paul answers that as well. It's as if he knows that we might be likely to ask that question of, well, what's the why behind this, Paul? Why would we consider this? He says this. He says in verse 15, I want you to live clean, innocent lives as children of God, and here's the why. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You see, Paul says there's a why behind all of this. The the, the call to be different and be different in these two specific ways is not just for fun, Paul says. It's not just for kicks and giggles. He's not just humoring himself by calling us to live this way. No, there's a why behind it, Paul says. And the why is that we would shine like the bright light. That Jesus Christ is in us and that other people would see it. That through the fact that we're different, that people would see the bright light of God's kingdom. They'd see his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his steadfastness. They'd see all of this through our lives. That that, Paul says, is the why behind why we're called to live this way. I recently read a story of a guy who, named Craig, and Craig lived this out. God was at work in Craig's life, and Craig became different as a result. And wouldn't you know it, somebody else saw the light of God shine through. Craig was in an airport one day with his business partner, and their flight kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And eventually, they got the intercom news that nobody in that situation ever wants to hear: their flight was canceled. And the intercom tells him to head to the desk to rebook a flight for the next day. And so Craig, with the entire group of people in the concourse, makes his way to the desk. And Craig notices something in the midst of that. He notices that the temperature of the room rises. It becomes a much more tense room, a much more angry and irate room. And as he gets closer and closer to the desk, he can hear the conversations between customers and the woman behind the counter. And every single one of them is just lighting into her, just letting her have it, releasing all of their pent-up rage and frustration on her. Craig notices that it's a room room full of a lot of complaining and arguing, and a room full of a lot of people caring about their own welfare. He also notices something else. He notices that God's been at work in his own life. So he wasn't angry, he wasn't frustrated, and he had no interest in further ruining this woman behind the counter's day. So it finally becomes his turn. He and his business partner make their way up to the counter, and Craig looks at the woman, and the first thing he says is, I promise I'm not going to get mad at you. The woman lets out a huge sigh of relief, smiles and whispers, thank you. So Craig, in genuinely caring for her welfare, begins to kindly and compassionately talk with her as she works to rebook him a flight the next day. And they do that successfully, and so he and his business partner, who they've known each other for years, head down the concourse, to find something to do for the rest of their overnight. But before they could get many steps, his business partner, with his hands on his head, looks at him wide-eyed and says, Craig, what in the world has gotten into you? A year ago, you would have been so mad and you would have lit into that woman. (laughs) Craig kind of shrugs and smiles and says, you know what, you're probably right but God's been working in my life. I'm different now. And so we might as well make the best of this unfortunate situation. For the rest of the evening, his business partner couldn't stop exclaiming how much it meant to him to see Craig different like that. You see, the business partner saw the light of Jesus Christ shine through Craig for Craig's such simple actions, but it changed him forever, all because Craig was different. Author Robert Frost summarizes all of what Paul is getting at in this passage in Philippians in just one single quote. Frost says this. He says, Christianity is about helping others and controlling yourself. When it becomes about controlling others and helping yourself, it ain't Christianity. Let's pray together. God, would you work in our lives to make us different? Would you make us different in the ways that Paul compels us for us to be. Thanks for your grace and your mercy and your love for us this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.